Alaska is sponsoring conversations with Alaskan gardeners. And we're back, Margaret, Lin- Margaret Tharp and David Lendrum, and we are ready for your calls, 907-586-1800. Gets you on the air, and we can talk about landscaping and gardening. Can you hear me clearly? Yeah. Everybody? Okay, good. So, and what a day for gardening, huh? Golly, yes. Get in, get in your <laughs> boat and row out to the garden. <laughs> You better wear your rain gear today. Uh, There's no doubt about it. I just get wet. Particularly, wear your rain gear as you're coming to Landscape Alaska's Labor Day sale. I won't be there, Dave. I know you won't be there. You're going to be on the job with your crew. That's right, and the pouring down rain. And so, uh, by the way, folks, if you are hearing this and you got my advertisement and you intend to come to our sale today, I'm going to be loading trucks this morning, so I won't start till noon. Come on up. I've got some really, really beautiful things for sale. Really beautiful in there in full bloom and many colors. We have some pretty Monarda. We have red. We have one purple and several hot pink. That's bee balm for the people who don't speak Latin. Good morning, Conversations. Yes, good morning. Um, I'm calling with regard to uh, hydrangeas and um, bought bought one that has the big pink blooms. Um, I had seen um, big bushes in, I think it was Wrangell, um, <clears throat> but they weren't pink, they were white. And I later read that the white ones uh, might survive our winter, but I'm calling to find out, well, how do I help my pink one <laughs> survive the winter? It's really about the variety. You know, If do you have a, a phone where you can take a picture and send it to David on the email or messages? Um, I, I can. I think it's through blooming and it's starting to to uh, create new leaves. Okay. Um, it, all okay. I'm trying to say is that there are hydrangeas that survive here quite well that have color also, but there are varieties of hydrangea that have a hard time unless they're south-facing and under a protective cover. Some In some locations, they can survive the wintertime. It's a little harsher here than it is in Wrangell. So um, without knowing exactly what the variety is, you have a good chance, but I don't know. And what about you, Dave? That kind that has the pink flowers on it is the uh, the softer kind, the kind like you would buy in a florist shop. And and uh, that's the kind that changes color depending upon the soil acidity. But that we haven't had much luck with that. But there, there are a few. That's all I'm saying. There, there are, are a few in town I've seen. That right. fa- fa- have south-facing aspects where they get plenty of sun in the summertime, and they're protected by an eave so it doesn't get downpoured on. But the other I thing you could do is, is to get the oh. other kind. Yeah, right. Um, but since I have these, um, I'm wondering if I put them in the garage with a fluorescent light, um, and and keep them watered. Do you think the garage is warm? It's very warm. So I'm I'm wondering if doing that is all for nothing, or if that might work. You sure could try it. The the thing is, is that plants that want to go dormant want to go to sleep in the winter time, and so there's that fine line between keeping something alive, like a house plant, which is what you'd be doing by keeping it warm and keeping it under lights, it certainly will live. It'll be tough enough for that. I don't know what'll happen in terms of flowering next year. If, you know, uh, generally hydrangeas um, go dormant in the winter time, even if they don't die, you know, that they come back in the spring, but they drop their leaves and and uh, have a 
off-duty time so they restore their energy and get ready to go in the spring what do you think dave uh yes you can keep it alive because in uh in warmer climates like uh the, the whole southern tier the hydrangeas don't go dormant they stay green like in florida you know or in georgia but they uh, that kind of hydrangea you have blooms on old wood the kind that's already there this year not what grows next year so as long as you keep it alive over the winter and set it out again in the springtime you might even get flowering on it again okay do you have well, any kind of fertilizer to recommend for her for when springtime comes something that's high in phosphorus something that's, do you know how fertilizers are expressed in three numbers like right. 83216 that combination is kind of what you want something that's that's uh, 8 or 10 for nitrogen and then 12 to 25 for phosphorus because that's the flowering part okay all right well thank you so much for your help let us know <laughs> yeah I will. and send okay. me a picture okay all thanks right. a lot thanks. and that does bring up the point that that uh, hydrangeas the hydrangea that she was talking about the white one that she saw in Wrangell is probably the paniculata form that has the long pointy cones the kind that you've planted around the capitol building and that kind of hydrangea grows really well here and blooms really really well as a matter of fact if you're interested in looking at it go look at the capitol building right now because it's in full bloom and look how it stands up to all that rain and beating wind that's what amazes me it is something, isn't it? Even the ones out in our yard that took all that wind and all the rain last night, they don't even have a brown petal on one of their flowers. Uh-huh. How's that happen? <laughs> tough as nuts. That's all I can say. They're absolutely tough as nuts. And the part about that kind of hydrangea is that what you see as the flower is not really a flower. It's, it's really a modified leaf. So it's not very delicate. It's really tough. The structure of it's really tough. Well, it looks like a flower. What do you mean it's not a flower? Well, when you look at it, that thing that has the color on it, that's a modified leaf. It's called a bract. And then the, the flower are those little tiny dots in the middle that look like uh, smaller than a half a BB. That's the flower, the actual flower, the cluster of flowers oh, in the Oh, I had no idea. And all those parts around the outside are modified leaves. I love learning new things. Well, that's great, huh? Uh -huh. Me too. I absolutely love learning new I things. I love learning new things. It shows in your work, Margaret. You have learned some <laughs> new things on the in these years we've been working. Well, Not only learned them, you've taught them. Well, you know, to me, you get taught how to do something, and if you can improve it, you do. I mean, it's just no matter what it is you're doing. Um, I like to be efficient, and yet, and I like to keep things neat and tidy while I'm developing my work. Absolutely. And I tell you what. There's enough chaos in the world. <laughs> if we were to have a checklist of the innovations that you've brought into Juno's gardening world, there's a, quite a list there. Well, thanks, Steve. Uh, as all gardeners who work in the garden are innovative, you know, mm -hmm. they do I a think really most, great job. I think the most innovative thing that I saw you do was the uh, transplant the native landscape like sod peeling it up, taking it in big chunks. You had me cut it up in the ground with a chainsaw and then hired an excavator to pick it up and move it around. I thought that was the coolest thing. Well, thanks. You know, the thing is, when, the de when they developed Mountainside Estates, it just ripped my heart out. So when I thought there's got to be a way to salvage Because that, they threw everything away, you they mean? They threw it all away. Uh -huh. And so I thought, well, there's got to be a way to s save that understory. 
because in the understory is the existence of the old forest, seedlings, things like that. And that's what made me think about it. And when I went back to school in landscape architecture, they said, whatever you do for your master's work, do what you know. And I thought, well, I really only know the landscape. I, I can't invent something else. Um, and though I had several other ideas, I thought, I want to do the transplant thing. And that's why I did it. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And, and being able to transplant the blueberries and the Minzisha and all the wonderful understory plants, the Cornus canadensis and the berries of all sorts, it's, it's very rewarding. The real clue, I thought, was when you made the jump from transplanting individual plants to transplanting chunks that, that are uh, community s- sizable chunks ones that well, uh, whether you're doing it by hand or doing it with machinery the largest do. piece you can get is the best right and uh, you know those pieces were like 500 pounds yeah and I, the extendable forklift is really my preferred rather than excavator so it goes underneath the root wad can lift it up and you can go around and cut all the roots and make it into it like a big piece of cake. Uh-huh. And you know what happens is, is you take that big piece of cake and you lay it down in some new place and the doesn't the, miss a beat. The water the water connection is different. And so things that are dormant in that suddenly come alive. Mm-hmm. You know, and things that have been dormant for years or maybe even 100 years, I've no idea. But I know that the part you did around the police station 5 years afterwards, there was all new stuff in it that came. Uh, Margaret did the Juno Police Station as a 1% for art project when she was doing her master's work. And landscape architects came from all over to look at it because it was the first time anybody had ever seen anything like that. And needs a little fine-tuning right now because it's got grown to be a jungle, but But it was okay. stunning, absolutely <laughs> stunning. Well, and thanks. another thing I thought was really cool was when you uh, identified the, the Eagle Crest model for low-maintenance landscape. Right. And said that what we really need here, if you're looking for low maintenance in southeast Alaska. You've got to cover the ground. It's not gravel and sand and bark. No, it's have something growing every place and have it growing to be knee high and lower. To become a mat. Right. Because the weeds are so big. If you don't outcompete the weeds, they're going to take over. And there's no way to really control weeds. You just have to outsmart them. <laughs> right. I mean, you can't pull them. You can't spray them. None of that stuff works as a, uh, a, a long term. That's right. You need to have something that's not going to allow them in. And that planting real densely and shading the ground out and using the, the many-stemmed little shrubs, that was really a winner. Really well, a thanks. Winner. You know, the thing is, the nursery business is constantly evolving. And... When I came up with that idea, making it affordable for people to be able to apply it was then the challenge because everything was done in a two-gallon pot or a three-gallon pot. And a one-gallon pot, they looked at it and thought, well, that's too little, you know. So now the nursery business comes out with all these super plugs, all different sizes that you actually can plant densely in a very affordable way and have a few icons in big sizes, but the the solid mat in front of them can be a an undulating pattern like tapestry of this is lingonberry and this is cornus canadensis and this is something else you know right and all those dwarf things 
all those dwarf things that are now available that weren't available other than in large containers, but now they're available in small shots as if they were bedding plants. Right. And you can plant them out like that, and within a couple of years, you've got a shrub mass that changes color seasonally, that really has flowers, great. has leaf change. Right. And if you want to, you can have it with fruit. And I'm so thrilled they've started growing meananthemum as a ground cover because that's one of, another of our native ground covers that goes dormant at this time of year, but it's what they call the false lily of the valley. Uh-huh, false lily of the valley, or uh, some people call it deer lettuce. Uh-huh. No, that's a wonderful ground cover. It and, is. and it's really vigorous and really persistent. Yep, chokes things out. Uh, I like that a lot. And In, so this is a call in show. Oh, yeah, this is a call in show. <laughs> Somebody else could talk besides me. That'd be just perfect. 907 586 1800. Now, we, we're. Uh, we they pick us up in other communities besides Juno and Douglas. So if you live out of town, the 800 number means you're not having to worry about paying anything, and it gets right to us. So go ahead and call us up. If you're from Wrangell, you're from Sitka, you're from Huna, you know, you're at, in Angoon, give us a call. We like to know what's happening in your community. One of the things that's happening in our community today is they're having the Harvest Fair at the Community Garden. Back in Montana Creek. Back in Montana Creek, that's right. And if you're interested in about today is the day and they're going to have it be, let's see, the vegetable judging starts at at, uh, 9 o'clock. From 9 to 10.15, they judge who got, you know, the biggest pumpkin and how many lettuces and the nicest flavored carrots. You grew up doing all that stuff with your mother on her organic you-pick farm. I did. And I remember being a little boy and going to the county fair just like this thing with my prize vegetables sliding around in the back of the station wagon and on uh, little paper plates got my specially arranged zucchinis and my specially arranged carrots all scrubbed and pretty looking yep that was so exciting and you know at that time and uh, that would be like 1952 you know uh, I'd take him to the state the county fair and get prize money and uh, buy my school clothes it was great Good. I love that. So the, that vegetable judging goes on till ten fifteen, and then they have their show. And you walk around and look at the community garden and look at all the things people are growing there. And they had a competition for making uh, scarecrows, only instead of scarecrows, they made scare slugs. Yeah. So they, <laughs> Well, there's enough of those. Okay, yes, you betcha. So that's going on today. Uh, I went into Tyler Rental. This week, and buying safety gear for our crew, doing the new project that you're de- you're designing and you're managing today, and they've got everything you could possibly imagine. If you need hearing protection, eye protection, you want bright colored vests, you want the sweatshirt you can wear like those men do when they're working on the highway, you know all that stuff. And I noticed that that early morning joggers and dog walkers are are adopting all that safety gear. It's really so they smart can be move. seen can be seen on the road. And now as the season changes it's a really good idea and uh, they've got a great selection of that including rain gear that is uh, safety gear reflective gear so you can can walk along the side of the road in in both uh, comfort as far as dryness and also comfort knowing that people can see you so one of the things I want to shout out about is when we were down in Oregon we went for a family wedding <clears throat> it seems like everybody's getting married this year and uh of course, we we take a nursery 
show. We take in not the nursery show so much as we go to the nurseries we do business with. And one of the most beautiful things I have experienced in a long time is going to Mun's Japanese nursery. Yeah. Japanese trees nursery. Japanese maples. He's had this nursery for over 40 years. And the size, I mean, you think about Japanese maples growing like corn out in a field. And some of them have trunks that are 10 inches across. And some are just young and getting started. But they're incredibly beautiful. And so if anybody's going to a place where Japanese trees are being grown, whether it's Oregon, Washington, California, Louisiana, wherever they are, but there's a grower there, pull over and go look at what it's like because the colors and the textures, especially in the fall, are just stunning. Now his, in Oregon, it's not quite fall yet it's still summertime and so they're not changing colors yet they were starting but in our yard now they were starting down there dave well you you have a greater (laughs) perception than i (laughs) but ours are definitely on the highway you know they're turning colors right now they're just so pretty and that big wind last night looking out at your japanese maples and looking at them pumping and waving and they were just so magnificent having a great time absolutely and uh processing air that's what they were doing processing the air exactly perfect so it's also time to start thinking about uh bulb flowers no i know the rotary is going to be selling bulbs pretty soon so get in touch with them or if you can't do that you know there's plenty of online places to buy bulbs I went through the Costco yesterday. They've got their big bulb display up in the you know the inexpensive big bags of mixed colors. I I can't emphasize too much what a bargain it is to plant bulbs in your yard. You know what a delight it is to have it come early in the spring, and if you are, are uh, at all forward thinking, you'll plant more than one kind of bulb in the same hole, so you can dig a hole the size of a, a wash tub. And, and you plant. put the biggest ones on the bottom and then you fill it up and it, as they get smaller, you creep up towards the top. Creep up to the top and then in that area, you get uh, crocus and then you get daffodils and then you get tulips. And allium. And alliums and then the crown fritillaries and all those things. And they're so cool. And the idea that once you've got them planted, that's pretty much it. There's no pruning, there's no staking, there's no extra fertilizing even. They just grow right then and come right up because they come pre-fed, pre-packaged, pre-prepared to have a flower. And I looked at those brilliant yellow lilies growing on Riverside Drive. They were so cool and the rain was beating on them too. Not a flinch, not a change. It was just... Lilies are fabulous. Lilies are fabuloso. And if Mm -hmm. you have a chance to plant lily bulbs... Every year you get more from them. They, uh, it looks kind of like an artichoke that you bury. And all the, the pointy ends, the scales that, are the, that make up the bulb. And they dig know. themselves down. They, they fall right. off the stalks, <coughs> land on the ground, and they start doing a little digging itself into the ground. It's got what they call a contractile root. So out of the bottom of the little bulb comes a root that every year pulls that little bulb further and further into the ground. It is really cool. It's great to know that stuff, and I'm thrilled to see it. Because when the little bulb lands on the ground, you think, oh, well, it's just going to... going to uh, Rot. Right. It's not going to do much. But in a couple of years, it's pulled itself down underground and sending up stalks 
And in a few years, you're going to have lily flowers on that. It's so cool. It is cool. Okay, come see me at Landscape Alaska today. And I, like I said, I'll be there starting at noon. And I've got a whole list of things that I have two, three, or five of. That It's it's the end of the, se- the season, and I've got lots of really, really groovy perennials. Things you might like to have in your yard. And you might maybe you already know what they are. Maybe you don't know what they are. If you come and look around, I can show you a whole bunch of them. Among them are Bergenia, which is that that big fleshy leaved thing you see in front of old gardens that stays evergreen, only it turns red in the winter, so it's because it's not really evergreen, but it's it's always there and it blooms in the springtime with a stalk that comes up about 15 inches and has it's a nice ground cover brilliant pink flowers a really good ground cover and it's one of the few things that can just like your uh the transplant mat there's no weeds in that right they choke them out they choke them right out and also there's a perennial geranium called bevan's variety same thing chokes the weeds right out and it has a nice fall color on its leaf. Really, what a brilliant red color that is. You ought to gather them all together and put them on one table, Dave, because there's a bunch along the side of the greenhouse there. I should. So Maybe when you're I'll home and you today. don't have anything to do. Oh, right. <laughs> there is a time when I don't have anything to do. But most of the time I'm asleep then. Oh. Well, I'm going to be making soil. Uh, and I have, I have these beautiful lilacs. Margaret was talking about getting shrubbery as small plants. We got these lilacs as small plants two years ago. And they're, they'll be in bloom not next year, but the following year. And they're a new variety out of France. And they are the biggest, deepest purple all you of ever those, saw. All of those just look great. We have a bunch of them down in Montana Creek. You ought to take some up to the house. Do you have plenty of them up there? I've only got a half a dozen. We have the white ones and the purple ones. Oh, you do? Great. Mm-hmm. The, the ones we transplanted this year. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, these are and ones... And they look are, vigorous. They are vigorous. You know, you know? lilac's a big, powerful plant. It's, Remember when we used to go into pots. Walla Walla and buy lilacs? Mm-hmm. That was a great scene. Okay, and we have all kinds of blueberries. We get uh, five or six kinds of blueberries that uh, range from, from ones that get to be 10 inches tall to the big shrubs that get as tall as I am. And they have the later fruiting blueberry than our native one and we have currants and we have gooseberries we have all those all that stuff Mm -hmm. and and also hedge making plants if you want to do some kind of a hedge and you don't have a a whole lot of space you don't want it to be a 20-foot hedge you want it to be a a six or eight foot hedge i've got some special things for that you know it's nice to use fast-growing shrubbery for hedging like those snow mound spireas those make a really nice hedge they really do. You no, know, and you can plant them close together. You can plant them farther apart. Depends on how fast you want your hedge to establish. And you can mix things up as a hedge. You can use arborvita with deciduous things. That's a nice combo. And uh, so, if it's a mixed species hedge, is it still a hedge? It's a hedge, or and you need to plant it so there's a pattern to it. It looks much prettier like that. Uh huh. Uh, if you look and across, having variety in it means it's always something to look at. You know, if you plant something so it's just one thing, some, hum. somebody looks at it once and they never look at it again. You know, boring. So by giving it variety, you add texture and interest, and you know, people look at it a lot more often. 
Absolutely. And having things that do different things at different times of the year is also very cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I sent out my email list to people on our email list. I sent my sales list to people <laughs> on my email list. Spit and it if, out, Dave. And if you don't get one and you want to be on our list, send us an email, landscapealaska at gmail, and ask to be put on the list. And that way you'll get notified of upcoming sales and events and all the special pricing that we send out to those people on our list. Okay. <coughs> so, uh, Margaret, I've really enjoyed being on the radio with you for this last 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm it's lucky pretty then, cool, Dave. Huh? It'd be horrible. I never have any idea who's listening. So if you want to reach out to us and tell us, yes, we listen to you, we'd be glad to hear that. And uh, the season is changing. There's no doubt about it. It's getting to be time to start thinking about the training you're going to do for the plants for next year. If you have something that you want to have shaped differently than it is, you know, start thinking about that now, getting ready to prune it, getting ready to train it. The Japanese have a technique they use where they stick bamboo poles through a plant's body and then tie the branches to it in order to have it be in a different shape. And if you do that when the plant's young and they get trained like that, they'll stay like that once the once the branches turn into wood. So you could make something that would grow flat against a wall or you could make something that, that has a, a, a very formal triangular shape or you could make something that fits just into the small space between the two buildings. You know, I just love the way the Japanese garden. I absolutely love it. My thing that I love is when they are transplanting a tree, no matter how big it is, how they get that tree in such a nice, tight root ball, looking so neat and tidy, all wrapped up in burlap. Isn't that cool? It is so amazing. It's amazing. So we were at that Japanese maple nursery last week, and he was telling us that he had these these maples that he thought were going to be too big to transplant. And somebody came and bought them, and one of them all shipped to Chicago. And he hired a man to come and dig them. And first he dug around them with an excavator and a backhoe. And then he climbed into the, the pit around the trees and began working with his shovel. <coughs> and dug them around and trimmed them and pruned them and wrapped them. And these are trees that were 20 feet tall. $2,500 a tree just to dig them. Right. You'll well, that's think, a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, I don't want highly the, skilled I don't work. want the work, but I admire it when I see it done and done right. You know? Absolutely. So. So we're coming to the end of our show and I'm about to start coughing. Of course. Mm. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, one of the other things that I admired about the work you've done is how you recreated soil. Well, making soil is, uh, is really cool because I used to use peat soil, but I can't get it anymore since I don't have an excavator and a dump truck. So I had to go to making my own soil because I got tired of buying soil and having weed seed in it. So uh, (coughs) I've been mixing soil for all our plantings and it's been working really well. 
And what you did yesterday, mixing soil using that gravelly kind of substrate, that looked really cool. That made me think, there's soil for a rainy climate. Yeah. And roots just grow like crazy in it. It's just like looking at pea rock and see how the weeds seed themselves and start spreading and their roots just go everywhere. <clears throat> uh-huh. And you think about, oh, dirt is going to be something that I'm going to want to plant in. You know, that's it's good. And if you have good soil, that's marvelous. But if you don't have it and you're going to have to to create it or buy it or make it, this is a good pattern. And the uh, starting with the washed sand from the sand and gravel plant and adding all the additional components to it, the organic parts, the peat moss. Different size particles is the key. You don't want it all to be one particle size because it doesn't drain well. And if it's too big, the water just flows right through and none of the fertilizer stays around right. and it can't, can't manage itself. So that's, that's a very cool innovation. And if anybody's interested in that, when you come talk to me at Landscape Alaska, ask me to see about it. So there are, uh, our radio technician here says we've got only one minute left. Nice to talk to you, Juno. Okay. And have a great time in the rain today. I'll see you out and about. Come see me at Landscape Alaska on the Back Loop Road. And until next week, this is Margaret and Dave from Landscape Alaska. We're wishing you all happy gardening.